Hello and welcome again to the Entrepreneurial Clinician Podcast. Today I am incredibly excited to be speaking with Kathy Love and I'm going to get Kathy to pronounce the name of her business because we've just practiced and I've already forgotten. My name is Jo Muirhead. I'm a rehabilitation counsellor and I've created this podcast as a way of helping us understand and explore the concept of being an entrepreneur and also a health profession and a clinical... Ah, when start all that again. Hello and welcome to the Entrepreneurial Clinician Podcast. I'm your host, Jo Muirhead, and today I have with me the fabulous Kathy Love. Kathy and I have known each other quite a while now, and thank, thanks to the internet. Oh, Kathy, you, I'm so intimidated. Why are you on script? <laughs> Tear the script up. Yep. Just chuck it away. Okay. This I've is- got the questions that you can ask me. Yeah, that's fine. All good. Okay. And we'll start again. You're intimidated. Yeah, isn't that crazy? <laughs> Uh, hello and welcome to the Entrepreneurial Clinician Podcast. I'm Jo Muirhead and to be frank, I'm a little bit sick and tired of having to go over this introduction. Today I have Kathy Love with me and I'm really looking forward to exploring with Kathy her concepts around being an entrepreneurial clinician. I'm incredibly grateful for Kathy. Every time I speak to her, I learn something new and I have quite a few pages in my day-to-day notebook, which is Kathy said, Kathy said. I don't know if you know about that, Kathy. Oh, stalker. <laughs> which is great. So Kathy, similarly to me, uh, works with allied health professionals who are keen to develop powerful and profitable businesses that create a positive impact on their owners, their teams and their clients. And one of the things I love about Kathy is her commitment to all the people, not just the clients, not just the prospective clients, but uh, the clients' families, the caregivers, and the people who work inside of these health businesses. She understands private practice from the inside out, upside down. You could stand her on her head and she would give you so much knowledge and information. She's built practices. She's helped people build practices, but she's also done that magical thing of being able to create a business that somebody else wanted to buy which I think is pretty cool. She's an occupational therapist by trade, but we won't hold that against her because we all think occupational therapists are very, very cool. She is a prolific speaker, presenter and trainer. She's presented in workshops all over the country and internationally, am I right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I thought so. Um, And in the 1990s, she was a pioneer of Melbourne's paediatric private practice seen as she started sustained and in 2012 so yeah it was quite a big chunk of time sold a successful business that delivered therapy services workshops and educational toys so kathy when i grow up i want to be like you maybe just the good bits (laughs) and i'm really thrilled that you said yes that you wanted to be a part of this podcast and one of the reasons why i've been having a little bit of trouble today is i have scripted or have given us a structure because the last time Kathy, Kathy and I did a podcast interview together for her podcast, we went all over the place and we have a lot to say and we have a lot of opinions and I want to keep us on track today. So Kathy, thank you for saying yes and thank you for putting up with the structure. <laughs> all good, all good. I have a saying um, from structure comes freedom. So hopefully there'll be some sort of freedom in this in this conversation. Uh, fantastic. Um, 
Was there anything else you wanted to add into the introduction? I guess, uh, <clears throat> no, no, thank you, thank you. I'm happy to talk a little bit about the business name because in one of the previous takes of this introduction, <laughs> we were having a bit of a giggle about the business name and the fact that it provides me with the opportunity to explain what it is and what it means. And maybe there's a little tip in that about every business has a story and every business owner has a story and whether or not we're bold enough to kind of dream this stuff up and share it. So um, that could well, be an interesting place to start. I really think it would because I know we practiced and I still haven't got it. I still want to stick the R in where the R isn't required. So could you please share with us the name of your business and how that story came about? That would be Okay, cool. okay, okay. So the name of my business is Naker consulting n-a-c-r-e and i'm reasonably sure it's french or something quite exotic and the word naker is a process type word which as an ot just made me um sing it's the process by which something small and gritty is held in a in a shell like an oyster shell and it's the process of natural forces building up layers and resilience layers of resilience and brilliance so that a pearl grows hmm. so if you ever chopped a pearl in half there's all these little rings of calcification and it gets more and more magnificent as it grows up and one of the ratings of pearls is its nacre which is its brilliance and um, iridescence so I love that concept. I love this idea that we're all a bit messy and a bit gritty, but we can be held and we can be supported and we can be available to forces of all sorts uh, so that we find our shine, so that we find our own brilliance, whether as a clinician or an entrepreneur or a partner or a parent or whatever it is. So um, it was a mighty fine moment when a speech therapy colleague suggested that to me in the stairwell of um, the car park of Chadston Shopping Centre here in Melbourne. Fantastic. What a great story. I love the idea that from grit something beautiful comes. Yeah. And from all of that, that tension and that rubbing, which is probably not comfortable in the moment for most of us, but something brilliant, something beautiful can actually come of it. And I think any health professional listening to this is going to go, that's the perfect metaphor for what I do with my clients. <laughs> well, I'm sitting here thinking that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. Find your own. And therein yeah. lies the point. Therein yes. lies the point that every business owner has a story. It's about what needs to be done to lift the lid on that story and have it spring out and be part of the business message and the business values and so on and so forth. So um, whilst my story uh, sounds flippant and that it happened quickly and easily in the car park at Chadston, it was on the back of a good year. Wow. Um, of, yeah, of, yeah, months and months and months of asking and asking people what they thought about what I did and how they'd describe it and a million zillion searches online and all those business name generator things. And it, it then happened very, very spontaneously and quickly and it was all sorted within a day or two um, mm. on the back of months and months and months and months of thinking that's that's often how it is I think in most for most of us is it feels like it's an automatic a gut feel but it's come out of this process almost birthing process where we've had all of this mm. 
thinking and angst and more thinking and angst that's gone on before. And overthinking. We're particularly good at overthinking, just saying. Or is yeah. that just me? Tell me no, I'm not alone. You, you really aren't alone. <laughs> How many takes to this introduction did we have? <laughs> First three and a half hour podcast episode. Uh, yes. Anywho, that's, that's the, the beauty of having editing, which can help fix all of that. I would like to ask you a question around being an OT. So you're, mm. you're not just an OT these days. You speak, you mentor, you train. How has being an occupational therapist provided you with a platform to be able to do all these other things now? Yeah, I, um, I was talking to a group of people about exactly that two or three, on two or three occasions last week. And what my OT training has done is potentially changed my DNA. Maybe I had DNA that was ready for it and that's why I went into OT. There is that theory. But having worked in OT and pretty much exclusively with children, teens and adults with developmental disabilities for, um, you might have to edit this bit out, over 30 years, I've been able to hone this craft of, under, of helping people understand who they are and who they want to be and what they need to be doing in life. And for me, I just, I still go back and read the work of Mary Law uh, and look at the person and the environment and the tasks and how those three circles overlap. The OTs will be dashing to the internet when they hear this. But it, just comes back to how humans do stuff in their environment mm. and the challenges and opportunities that sit between those overlaps. You twist it all together and twist it out longitudinally over time. And kind of that is a bit of life, a bit of a view of life. So, um, yeah, I love the idea that you, uh, you don't have to be who you are um, today. You don't have to be that same person next week or the week after yes. and that there is this beautiful opportunity of growth and layering up your, your brilliance um, and change. Yeah, always been a bit of a fan of change. <laughs> yes, yes, you have. And you're not scared of change, which is something... Sometimes I am. Sometimes I am, but I'm not going to tell you that. that okay, bit thank you. But thank you for sharing that. <laughs> So given that you work, well, given that you've, you've been able to create a business that was sold and you've then created another business and then you help other people build health businesses, can you define for me what you think entrepreneurial means? Please and thank you. Hmm. Please and thank you. Uh, this, is an evolve, this is an evolving piece of thinking for me and hmm. it goes into my critical thinking department quite often and for me at the moment um, being an entrepreneur being entrepreneurial is all about understanding what people really need um, being able to solve problems and being able to add value by doing as much as I possibly can with as little as possible wow what a great simple definition it's not all mine it's not all mine it's a bit of a, a synthesis but that's what I'm sitting with at the moment and I would anticipate that it would change but imagine a world where um, problems are solved yes and yes. we kind of know that global problems aren't going to be solved by governments because they've been having a red-hot go at it and they're pretty crap and that the business and entrepreneurial community is really starting to step in to look at what people need how they need it how to add value and solve problems with you know, that lightness of, of touch um, and that lightness of resources. So, oh, 
So how, what opportunities then do we as health professionals have in an age where being an entrepreneur is, is highly sought after and highly valued? So here, listeners, is where I fling my arms as wide as I can. So <laughs> there is so much opportunity out there and we are only, well, based on what I hear and read and conversations I have with people, we are only at the very, very start of the whole tech age, believe it or not. Um, so there's monster-sized opportunities with leveraging technology um, to um, optimise our own time and productivity, but to really create a much more significant impact with the way we do business, with the way we do work, with the way we do life. So I think uh, for clinicians to be stepping really very, very quickly into telehealth, Mm -hmm. digital health and that whole experience, both from a business owner's point of view, but from a customer's point of mm -hmm. view as well. Mm. We're going to be seeing a lot more wearable tech, um, a lot more automation, a lot more artificial intelligence. Uh, and if you're sitting there sort of being fearful and cautious and thinking that won't happen to disability or health, it kind of already is. Um, and so to be reading and curious and and asking yourself some questions, what if and how could I and what would it make, what difference would it make or what value would that bring? Mm -hmm. And that gentle kind of um, sunrise of, of bringing this stuff into business uh, and bringing it into the business with that goal of it being valuable to you and your team and your clients. Yeah, nice. Nice. Technology certainly is something that, that health professionals will embrace very quickly on one hand, but then get terrified of very quickly in another hand. And we are very good at overlaying that with the concept of being professional or ethical or legal and, and, and all this stuff gets jumbled. In, but for, for me, technology affords us incredible accessibility opportunities. And, and, and telehealth for me was a no-brainer. I didn't even realise I was doing a thing called telehealth. We just, I had, to be honest, I got stuck at this sick and tired of being stuck in traffic okay that so was an accessibility option for me <laughs> but it leverages your time absolutely yeah amplifies your time and for you to do stuff mm. so are you seeing um, an increased uptake with health professionals wanting to become more tech savvy i wish <laughs> Thank you for your honesty because I'm like, if she says yes, I'm in trouble. Insert gloomy face. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, you know, in my first business, we had practice management software from the early 2000s and it doesn't compare to what's in the market mm. now. Mm. Uh, but, um, you know, I know that that practice management software is a couple of thousand bucks a year, whatever it was, saved me a salary. Yeah. Easily, easily. And now when you think about how software, uh, let's just call it all tech, uh, yeah. can do your marketing for you, can automate workflow, can bring reports that you didn't even know you needed, can delight clients in ways that you didn't think were possible, um, so on and so forth. And this is only the stuff that's available now. So when you think about what's commercially available to health um, wellness disability imagine what's available commercially elsewhere in other sectors mm. so um, we'll be seeing that trickle down I hope so to 
for people listening and, and reading your beautiful book is to approach it with curiosity and with uh, the, this notion that it can be such a value add and such a way to get different things done with less of you, less of your time, um, rather than fear and we don't need that. Mm. Um, I, I, yeah, this is an important boat not to miss. Oh, I, I agree. Well, if we miss this boat, we'll be left behind. That's my, yeah. my philosophy. Consumers are, de- consumers are demanding it. So consumers of health care services are seeing technology um, elsewhere and they want to know why we can't offer it. So wh- wh- why, why do I have to travel to Online see? Online booking, Zoom yeah. sessions. Yeah, yeah. Being it's- able to log in and see all the history of all their notes and their reports and their clinical sessions, you know, all sorts mm-hmm. of bits. Being able to rate rate people and provide feedback quickly and easily. All of that stuff's kind of available now. But, um, hmm, yeah. Yes, we're not, uh, we're not shying away from it. It's coming to us whether we want to be the driving force or not. Yeah. So we can yeah. take some responsibility there and get used to it. <laughs> so there's some opportunities for us. What are some of the challenges that you see for health professionals who embark on an entrepreneurial journey? What are some of the things that come up that are challenging? Uh, I'm going to say mindset first. Uh, I've never, I'm yet to meet an allied health business owner who doesn't have what I describe as a secret squirrel plan for something else tucked away. And I get really interested in terms of why they haven't opened that box and let that genie out yet. Mm-hmm. And it's about time and it's about what will people think and it's about, oh, no, who would buy it and it's so much work. And all of a sudden sort of the, the balloon pops and it's a bit of an Eeyore moment um, and everyone kind of gets gloomy on it. So uh, I think a challenge is to dig into your self-worth and dig into the va- your own personal and professional and even business value about this notion of what people need, how you can enhance people's lives and customers' opportunities and to really attach to those outcomes that you get with your clients. Um, otherwise, you're always going to be sitting in a place of tension around money and about mm-hmm. selling things. And I, I, to this day, I, I see that as an exchange of value. Yeah. I give someone something new and interesting and a new op- skill or opportunity or way of thinking or doing or being and they just happen to give me money. It's just a value exchange mm. um, kind of stuff happening. So mindset around value, uh, mindset around value exchange and finances and money I think are really important. Uh, I think... Uh, the personal development stuff's really important, mm. I believe. Uh, whether that dials up your confidence, whether that helps you understand and manage your appetite for risk, whether that helps you understand what it is you're here to do and why you want to do stuff. I'm a big fan of that, that why, um, which is sort of on trend or maybe fading, fading a little at the moment to be replaced with something else. Um, So other challenges, I guess, include um, just pulling on your business boots a bit as well, Uh, whether it's your numbers, whether it's getting your marketing kind of mojo um, up a little bit. Uh, But, yeah, mindset, confidence, risk, um, knowing your value, knowing your numbers would be Mm. challenges that I see that aren't insurmountable 
when you've got time and the right sort of support team in place uh, and that belief that you're truly, truly worth it, yeah. that stuff is kind of workable. I'd be really interested in your thoughts on that. <laughs> I wanted to speak into the, the value exchange because that's something that you and I, sh we're very strong on and, mm -hmm. and we both um, have watched health professionals leave the industry quickly. I, I, part of me writing this book is I want to remove this churn of health professionals we've got because people don't know how to stay because they don't know how to look after themselves and we've got a health system that doesn't support us doing that. So, so value is not just, value and worth is not just something that private practitioners need to understand. It's what our employee, we need to understand that about our employees, but we also need to understand the value and worth for, of our clients. So mm. you said something delightful before about the opportunities that exist, the opportunity to delight our clients. Mm, customer and, delight. Yeah. So they, they're coming to us, giving us their time, their energy and their money. And quite often that's difficult. Um, getting around isn't easy for a lot of our clients. Time management isn't easy for a lot of our clients. And a lot of them are on fixed incomes. So yeah, that, that, that's how, so being able to delight them just made me sit up and go, huh, I actually going to put a, an agenda item in our management meeting now on how can we delight our clients. Customer delight. It should be one of your biggest outcome metrics. Yeah. What a great concept because we're so good at thinking about the value exchange, about valuing me and what am I worth? But it's like, hang on a minute. What is that client worth? How, mm. how do I help that client understand that I value them? That's, that's a really powerful. So thank you for the mindset shift. This is like, good. Pleasure. <laughs> Pleasure. And then I, while um, I've just, I've thought of another challenge mm -hmm. it's a challenge and an opportunity but um i i guess no it might even come into some other questions that you've probably got tucked up your sleeve so let's just slide it in here <coughs> pardon me and that's about allied health professionals kind of leaning in and not kind of muttering and complaining and whinging to each other about who's not doing what at a professional association level, but actually making some noise. So I would love to see the stats on, you know, all those providers under the NDIS. There's a podcast with NDIS in it. You were probably hoping you wouldn't have one. Um, <laughs> but who's actually written to their local politicians? Yes. Who's actually left emails, voice messages and letters to professional associations, to ARPA, all of those other ones. He's actually done more than just kind of tappity tap, 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 armchair warrior stuff. So um, I, 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 I think there's many, many people out there who want change um, but feel that they're too small to be part of change. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I think for the, the massive shifts that are needed in our health and disability and I'm just going to put education in there as well because I know people listening to you are kind of intersecting on that front as well that that change isn't going to happen if we just go home from work every day and grumble oh absolutely and if like you said before if we just if we wait for government or institutionalized no. health to make the changes that we will be here it moves at galatial speed we're still using in researching this book we are still using theories and philosophies that were born out of the First World War. Fabulous. Just fabulous. I just so thought, well, I, I had to go back and read that many times and my editor has actually questioned it. And I'm going, no, that, that's exactly what's happening. This is what we're saying is current. Mm. <laughs> yeah, well, that's where OT was um, born from. 
was mm. rehab for soldiers. Mm. Oh, agree. And same with, re with rehab. Yeah. But yeah. come on, we, we, if, if mm. we keep doing the same thing, we're not going to see any change. And what will happen is what I think we're happening with people, uh, consumers especially, they're, they're desiring faster, they're desiring quicker, they're designing certainty around results. And you can see that with the rise of the coach fraternity is coaching is offering something that feels faster, it feels certain, and it allows people a sense of inclusion and participation in the process, whereas traditional therapy has been done to you and it'll be done as long as yeah. it takes for you to get mm. the thing done and I finish doing it to you. So we can already see that the consumers are going to drive the change if, if, we, don't, if we don't get on board. It, it'll yeah. be taken away from us. I sat in a, an AI seminar a little while ago uh, with the Australian Life and Underwriting Association. That was a fun day. <laughs> And uh, there's a physiotherapist in the room and she was looking at this process and she went, so essentially my degree will be null and void before too long because Pretty much. technology was good, particularly for neurological deficit or, or yeah. post-stroke and post-spinal cord injury. Um, and she was like, well, that's awesome. I'm glad I'm retiring soon. <laughs> so like that, that, that's the threat or the opportunity that, that we've got coming our way. Hmm. Anyway, we want to encourage people to be awesome clinicians. Make some noise. <laughs> right. Make some noise. Let people know that you're, what you're interested in. Let people know what needs to change. Um, yeah, I think you're right. There's no, there's no need for us to have arguments on Facebook when we could be doing something a little bit more, um, well, not even a little bit more, a lot more productive with that. Huh. Okay. Um, a question I haven't prepared you for. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> When looking back now, what what would you definitely do differently in starting your business if you were starting today? Oh, uh, <clears throat> I would look at what it would take to build a business that demands less of me. So let's just use the expression, it's a bit of a throwaway expression, a million dollar business. What sort of business model would I need to have to have a role that is team facing but is a million bucks worth of customer delight? And so I would work with a, um, an advisory crew for startup beforehand. Uh, and I would have different sort of product structures in place. The reason being that I'm of the thinking that this notion of one-to-one -one therapy, the therapist and the patient, client, customer, I, I think that's fading um, from our service offer. Uh, if it isn't, it probably should be. I think there's a lot of there's way too much one-to-one -one therapy in some places at some times. Granted, it's required at other times. So I'd build a business model that was sort of set to fly with less of my time and I would have a much more sophisticated marketing strategy in place, online, offline marketing strategy. I would have a diverse team. I would bring in clinical excellence across a couple of frontiers and I would build, bring in uh, business development management and ninja admin support. And we would have 
yeah, tech doing so many aspects of everything that we needed to. So, yeah, I, I, I think a, a new build would look very, very different than um, starting with, you know, out of the back of my car and community visits and things like that. I would possibly, if I could, spend two, three, four, five times in the planning and go to market with something quite new and novel. Um, and yeah, hopefully position myself a little ahead of the curve. Oh, nice. Just listening to your dream there, I'm sitting there going, that sounds like the wishful thinking that so many clinicians turn up. Mm. To me with. I want a million dollar business that doesn't require a lot of my time. Okay, mm. so how are you going to make that happen? Uh, I'm going to see clients one-on-one. -on -one I'm going to work harder. Well, we know if you do the maths, if you're a solopreneur and you're on, say, clients with the NDIS, your ceiling income is going to be around 227000 If you do 30, I can't remember the maths, 30, 40 hours of client facing, um, you, you max out. There is only just so many. There's, there's only so many hours you can do it. Yeah. And, there's, and there's only so many weeks a year you can do it. And there's only so many years you can do it because we're humans. Mm. And even I think... I have yet to see, meet anybody, even if they have a caseload of people they absolutely delight in, who don't need an extended break from time to time, who yeah. who are who are still going. I, I need I need to have some income coming from a different way, and not everyone needs to be training, and not everyone needs to be doing workshops, mm. and not everyone needs to build a team. So there's something to be said for finding that thing, that business model that, that's going to light you up and, and yep. help you achieve those goals. That's really powerful. Thanks, Kathy. That was, that's why I didn't script that question. <laughs> <laughs> so as a clinical supervisor, because you've done quite a bit of that before, yeah. what is the number one thing you would encourage any health professional to do or have who wants to be successful in a clinical career? All right. Well, you have given me open invitation to stand on one of my mini soapboxes momentarily. I don't know if you knew about this one. No, this is a surprise. I cannot stand the expression clinical supervision. Cannot stand it. What I love to swap in is clinical coaching. Great. So when you're being supervised, you're kind of being told what to do. And uh, you've done lots of clinical um, coaching and supervision as well. What this clinical coaching kind of thing gets us thinking about is that both the coach and the coachee are in a position of learning and curiosity and what if, what ifness as I talk about. And what a coaching approach to clinical uh, performance does is gets the coachee or the therapist doing the mental gymnastics and doing the, the neural pathways mm. for learning. I don't know about you, but I don't always do what I'm told. <laughs> it's been on my report since about prep. Uh, not so much. And, you know, at time, you know, I had amazing um, clinical wisdom in the room in my early um, clinical positions but even still I there would be part of me that would do it the hard way just to kind of test some theories but what I love about coaching is there's the what could it look like what would success look like how could you apply that differently have you seen this before what worked last time what have you done that worked that oh well how could you kind of dial that up a bit or what do you think you need to leave out and so you're opening, asking all these powerful Socratic questions where the recipient, the, well, the coachee, mm. has got the opportunity to do that, that 
clinical reasoning, if you like, rather than being told a clinical pathway, do this and this and this. So um, goodness knows what your question was three minutes ago, but that's my answer and I'm kind of off my soapbox now. So, um, so your question was about for clinicians wanting yeah. progression. Yeah, no, to be successful clinicians. To be successful clinicians. Oh. Uh, to take pride in that. Right. Absolutely take pride in that. I remember going to an OT conference years and years and years ago and um, it was all hail to the researchers, all hail to the academics and I went nuts just quietly, absolutely nuts because I knew and I was probably one in the audience that there were clinicians with 20 years of clinical wisdom and their knowledge wasn't better or worse. It was just different. Mm -hmm. but for some reason, that's not acknowledged on the podium mm. and in the award ceremonies and all of those other things like that. So to take pride in the fact that you are carving yourself out for a clinical career and that your impact through your profession, your professional impact will be different and it will be vast. Nice. Nice. Yes. I, I want to be remembered for being, a remarkable clinician mm. uh, for the difference I've made in people's lives. That's incredibly important to me. Yeah. Yeah. So what would be the number one thing that a health professional who wants to be a success in private practice needs to have or needs to do or needs to become? All of the above. <laughs> All of the above. Uh, the textbooks would say that you start with the end in mind. I'm not, not always sure that you know where the end is when you get started. And particularly if you're going into sort of startup is to have a, a short-term goal, short-term goals, series of projects, series of sprints. And if your business is growing and changing, then you need um, agility. You need professional, personal, financial, marketing agility around knowing your numbers, knowing what's working, knowing what isn't and changing, you know, um, navigating your path through there. So the end in mind is really important on a business front, but I think the end in mind is also important on a personal front uh, in terms of whether you're buying yourself a job, mm. whether you're prepared to be a slave for X number of years, whether or not you're going to get the help you need to really launch with a high um, sense of personal value, high sense of um, client value, high sense of um, impact and all of that sort of stuff. And so that kind of all begs to digging into thinking about the person that you need to be for your business and for your team as well. So um, whilst I jokingly say all of the above, it kind of applies. You know, are you big enough in spirit and energy and decision-making and confidence and creativity? And are you big enough in crazy to actually take on this adventure? Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I've just had another one of those aha <laughs> moments that, that you've already presented me with. So, uh, yeah, look at that. <laughs> I, I do think there is an element of crazy. I, I know a lot of people have, have admired how you've pioneered and that you're doing things differently and that you're a voice for change mm. and, and people admire that and they say similar things about, about me and that they don't realise that that craziness about being out the front means that we're actually ploughing up the ground that hasn't been ploughed yeah. yet. Sometimes it can be tough 
and it's met with resistance and sometimes with opposition. But um, it's, it's exciting to hear you talk about that. Thank you. Mm, <laughs> pleasure, pleasure. And I guess to sort of uh, just mention about managing your energy. Mm. And, um, Please do. Yeah, managing your energy whether it's nutrition or exercise or sleep or hydration or breath or movement, whatever it is mm. that brings the best version of you to the day, day after day, day after day. Uh, that's the stuff that doesn't hit the business plans. Well, it hits the business plans I work on, um, <laughs> but it doesn't hit the business plan and it is often the first to fall. And all of a sudden the business and the business plan and the this and the that aren't working, but it's, actually often interwoven with the business owner and their um, vibrancy as well um, and well, what as, they bring to that. As somebody who works clinically with adults it, returning back into the workforce, I can assure you that business owners of any discipline, of any, it doesn't matter if they're selling widgets or they're providing a service, when we start backtracking, when did you first notice there was a problem? It wasn't when they first got sick. It was long before they got sick. There were signs. There were things going on that they knew they needed to change and they ignored it. So building self-care into our business plan or how we will care for ourselves, because let's face it, if, if we're still doing the service delivery or we're thinking mm. about the business or we're creating the business and the energy, if we're not around, it doesn't happen. Yeah. If it doesn't happen, people don't get help. They don't get help. No one gets cured. Nobody gets to walk again people don't get to drive people don't get to go to work like that's not the point of being a health professional no no agreed snap on that one um, i've reached I've, yeah yeah i've reached for my journal because there's a quote that i think might be relevant do you want to hear it yes please it's been my quote of 2018 uh couple of others but this has been one of the main ones so it's by a guy called Jim Rowan mm -hmm. your level of success will rarely exceed your level of personal development oh nice oh wow say it again Kathy oh, reach for the book your level of success will rarely exceed your level of personal development I do know it by heart but I wanted to get it exactly right for you <laughs> Because we're nothing if not perfectionistic sometimes. <laughs> Just occasionally. Actually, well, less and less so on that one. Less and less so. I still send out marketing emails with spelling errors in them. I've, I'm over that now. Like, it's okay. Nobody died. <laughs> yeah. Kathy, thank you so much for your time, your energy and your wisdom today. Um, I, I just reflected, I was writing notes as we went and as a good health professional that I am, <laughs> there's such simplicity in the way you've helped us to define what it means to be an entrepreneur, solve a problem, add value, solve a problem, add value. And I know that there's layers to that and there's more complexity to that, but really when, when push comes to shove, solve a problem, add value. And I'm going to add my takeaway on that, which is delight your clients, delight your customers. I love the way you have explained to us to look for opportunities, not from a place of feeling threatened, but from a place of curiosity. What if, what if? That's a really powerful coaching question, but it also, it takes pressure off us for, to have it right, it takes pressure off us to have all the answers, it takes the pressure off us to have it sorted now. So thank you for that insight. That was incredibly powerful. And of course, I loved that 
that the number one thing that you think we all need is to get our personal development, our mindset sorted. I, I can't agree with you anymore there. It's if we haven't got our thinking right, nothing else matters because it, it's not sustainable. It's, it's just not sustainable. So, Kathy, how could people get in touch with you if they wanted to learn more about you, if they wanted to talk to you? How's the best way for them to do that? Uh, through my website, my soon-to-be-rebuilt website, mm -hmm. uh, nacre.com.au, n-a-c-r-e.com.au, mm -hmm. and they can book a power call, which is um, absolutely free, and I love it. I love, I just, just, I'll say it again, I really, really love hearing people's stories, their business stories and their personal stories, and that connection is is simply that. I get on those power calls, I don't know where they're going to go, um, but if I can um, identify some challenges, if I can help find some ways forward, um, that's it, you've got my full attention for that time. So that power call could be really interesting and really helpful for some of the guys that are listening um, into this. Fantastic. I'll also let you know that Kathy has a fabulous uh, podcast and I'll put a link to her podcast in the show notes, in the book. There'll be a way for you to be able to find it because um, it's, it's, she's got some really unique perspectives and, and has a very good business head on her shoulders. So thank you very much, Kathy. I've enjoyed this. I think we've done okay. <laughs> we've, so, we've wrangled ourselves to the time frame. We really did. And I'll, I'll look forward to sharing with you some more. Pleasure. Thanks for having me, Jo. Hello, it's Joe here. Thanks for listening to this interview today. I trust you're enjoying them. I trust you're learning from these interviews. It was such a privilege for me to be able to conduct them. And I have learned so much um, as I've prepared for creating the book, The Entrepreneurial Clinician. If you're looking for more information or how to purchase a copy of the book, The Entrepreneurial Clinician, head on over to joemuirhead.com forward slash book.